Blog Talk Radio. I am a dull and simple lad, but lucky for you listeners out there, I've brought in a really smart guy, and that's Kinks fan and Prospect 361 writer Tim McLeod. Tim, thanks for joining us tonight here on Mets 360. My pleasure, Brian. Looking, looking forward to talking up the game with you tonight. All right, well, since uh, we're in the middle of the All-Star break and, and last night was the All-Star game, I, I have to say, I didn't watch the All-Star game. Did you watch it? And, and additionally, is there anything that MLB can do to, to make it must-watch TV? Well, I haven't watched the All-Star game in years, Brian, but last night, for some bizarre reason, I was feeling a little tired, so I propped myself up in the bedroom and watched a boat. Uh, an inning and a half or so of it before I fell asleep. Um, unfortunately, my interest in the All-Star game uh, changed rather drastically with the interleague schedule. You know, when I was young, I used to look forward. I was a big Expos fan, and I used to look forward to seeing my Expos playing against American League teams and players that they normally never played against. And I don't know, I, I think with the advent of the mixed schedule, uh, that's probably been the biggest deterrent for me following it. There's just not that much, really, that gets me interested uh, these days. You know, I, th- I think that's a, a two-pronged thing. You have the, the interleague play that you mentioned, and I also think the ability to watch any game, any day of the year with um, MLB.tv uh, just kills a lot of the enthusiasm. I know growing up in the 70s, you'd get to, to see maybe the West Coast people that you couldn't see where I grew up on the East Coast. So, you know, there was a lot of excitement in seeing that, that players that you didn't normally see. And, you know, it's great to see Mike Trout, but I can see Mike Trout anytime that I want in a game that counts. Well, well yeah, you know, that's a very valid point. I know, like I said, growing up as an Expos fan, uh, that's basically all I could watch up here in Canada we could, because we didn't have access to all of the cable and MLB TV back then that we do now. Good point. So we had recently the uh, MLB tried to tie home field advantage in the World Series to the league that won the All-Star game. And you understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to build excitement into the product. And, but I think that that has to be categorized as a dismal failure. Is there anything that you can think of that they can do to, to make a, a diehard like me and you watch more than an inning or none at all? Um, I don't think there's a whole a whole lot uh, they can do. I am glad though that they they took the home field advantage out of there. I, I just found it totally bizarre that you would have what's supposed to be a fun game where you have to have representation from all the teams and not necessarily the best players on the field determining what could possibly be home field advantage and a big advantage at that for the World Series. So I'm glad they dropped uh, the. Uh, experiment because I don't think it was a very good one, not for the game. 
you know, I, I try to think of something that they could do to make it more interesting, and, and I can't come up with anything that's not goofy. So here's my best attempt. So, so let me know what you think. So they play the game. Okay. One team obviously wins. One team loses. So the losing team lines up, all right? And then in, in honor of uh, uh, Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner, the winning team gets shaving cream pies to throw into the faces of the losing team. That, there's your incentive right there. You, you win and you don't get a shaving cream pie in the face. What do you think? Yeah, yeah that, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, it's got to be something uh, a little bit off the wall because the, the whole concept of, of making the game count and making it a fun game at the same time, that just didn't work. All right, well, let's uh, get away from the goofiness and, and talk something that's a little more Mets-specific here. And then Michael Conforto represented the Mets last night, and he got up twice and had a nice uh, single to left center. Um, but I want to know, would Conforto have been your pick for the Mets? And if not, who would you have taken instead? Well, there's, there's a couple players that, that I like. I think if you're looking at April and May, yeah, Conforto would have been my pick. Uh, you know, once June rolled around, uh, the hand injury, and he started to slow down. He wasn't getting the same level of regular at-bats. But uh, you gotta, you got to like what Jay Bruce is doing, you know. Nobody says anything ever about Jay Bruce for the most part. He just sort of goes out and does his business, and he's on pace for 45 home runs. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, if you want to look at a bullpen arm, Addison Reed has had himself a great season. So, yeah, it's not so much that uh, I'm mean, in disagreement with Conforto as as the pick, but I wouldn't have had any problems with Jay Bruce or, Bruce or Addison Reed uh, either, Brian. You picked uh, two guys who certainly have a strong case. The one that, that I was stumping for was Jacob deGrom. First, because I think he got a raw deal being passed over by his own manager last year for Bartolo Colon, simply because Colon had a gaudy win-loss record at the time. But this year, deGrom has the wins. He was on a tremendous kick right in front of the All-Star game. And his overall numbers, while maybe not uh, sparkling like what we've seen somewhat in the, in the recent past, they're, they're still pretty darn good in this offensive heavy era. So I would have liked to have seen deGrom get the, the nod over Conforto. Yeah, that, you know, that, that's a fine pick as well. Uh, I guess the, the only plus to DeGrom not pitching in the game is he's still healthy, right? There you go. The, 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 the lone survivor, the lone wolf, the lone healthy guy. <laughs> but, um, you know, let, let's not dwell on that right this second. Let, let's try to keep it positive. Uh, so anyway, okay. Um, sounds, sounds <laughs> hey, you know, throw me a breadcrumb. They didn't lose tonight, and they didn't lose the day before, so we're on a roll here. But anyway, speaking do of uh, Conforto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the Mets made for, you know, at least for them, a radical move and inserted a power guy into the leadoff spot. But, you know, unfortunately, that's a move that's made half of the Mets fan base crazy because they want to see him hitting third and driving in runs. So what I want to know from you is Conforto's power wasted in the leadoff spot, or do you think his 403 on base percentage is best utilized at the top of the order? Well, you know, up until several weeks ago, what were the other options in the leadoff spot, Brian? Well, they tried. They began the year with uh, Jose Reyes, 
who was something like one for 32 out of the leadoff spot. And then they tried uh, Curtis Granderson, who got off to his typical April um, uh, no-show. And then finally they right. they went to, to Conforto. But then uh, Reyes uh, has had a couple of times where he's bounced back and showed some signs of life. And Conforto was actually on the DL right before the break came back was activated on that Saturday, didn't play, but started Sunday, but he was hitting second behind Reyes. Yeah, I, I would think that Jose Reyes, with the current hot streak that he's on, is probably the best choice for a leadoff bat uh, in New York, but somewhere they're going to have to find a way to thin that outfield by at least one body, and I think that will ensure both playing time and probably a better spot in the batting order for Conforto. I, I would like to see him... Uh, uh, 3-5? How's that sound? One of the two? There you go. Well, for some reason, they really want Cespedes to hit third. A couple of games, he batted second. But for the most part, when Cespedes has been healthy, he's hit third. So uh, perhaps fifth is uh, uh, the, the spot if you want to see him lower in the order. All right, well, I've got one more somewhat all-star-related question that I want to ask you before we leave that topic. And... Um, uh, Chris Davinsky, uh reliever for the Astros, uh, made the made the team, and it wasn't like he was a token player. He was the sixth different player for the Astros to be represented in the All Star team. Now, Davinsky to me is really interesting because he leads all relievers in innings pitched, and he's also second in strikeouts. But he's not among the league leaders in games, so he's been averaging more than an inning per start. And I want to know if, if you see somebody like Davinsky, who's not a closer, but his success leading others to question the current bullpen model in MLB. Well, I, I, I think one of, the, one of the inherent problems is the bullpens aren't respected as much by Major League Baseball teams. When it comes time to salary, people want to be starters. They, they don't want to be middle relievers. But the model is a very successful one, as Cleveland has proved with Andrew Miller. Um, I, I think moving forward with starting pitchers getting a lower and lesser workload on an ongoing basis, we both know as veterans of the game, at one point in time, a starter went seven, eight innings. And then you brought in your closer for one or two innings, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was all over. The game has changed now. Starting pitchers go six innings it's considered to be a quality and a good solid start so you need those middle middle relievers so i i think as we move forward we're going to see more and more players uh moving into roles like chris davinsky uh and based on the inning pitch restrictions on starting pitchers i think it's a necessity you've got to have a strong and deep bullpen in today's game brian now you mentioned the fact that, that starters are pitching fewer innings, and whenever you, you mention a, a reliever pitching more than an inning at a time, Andrew Miller is the, the guy that, that people turn to just because he had such great success in the postseason last year. But one of the things with that was because of the off days built into the postseason schedule, he had a little bit of time to recover that he wouldn't have during the season. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get to the point where we'll have – every team will have a reliever that they'll use in, in, in high leverage situations, but a guy that they'll use two or three innings at a time. You know, we've we gotten to that point where we have five and fly pitchers, pitchers who pitch five innings and then they're gone. So if you could have a guy in your bullpen who could come on and give you either two or three innings twice a week, I, I think that would be a, a great bullpen usage model. 
Well, yeah, you take a look at the Astros right now, and they're getting a, a ton of mileage out of pitchers like Feliz. Uh, I think uh, Marte has pitched multiple innings in a middle relief sort of capacity. And if you do have those extra arms and, and pitchers that can go multiple innings, uh, I think it's only to your team's advantage. All right, well, let's move on. You know, we, we always hear the announcers talk about that baseball is a game of adjustments. And right now it seems like the hitters have made an adjustment. They're trying to, to beat the shift by hitting more balls in the air, and maybe because of that, maybe other reasons. But whatever the, the, the reason, the end result is we have more home runs now than ever before. And I want to know what adjustments do you think that pitchers can make to combat all the hitters hitting the home run ball? Well, I, I think one of the biggest things that's missing from the game uh, that was very prevalent when I was young is that pitchers use both sides of the plate. Pitchers weren't afraid to throw inside. Now, I'm not talking about head hunting, and I'm not talking about, you know, bean balls, et cetera, but there's two sides to the plate. And one of the easiest ways to control, uh, I believe, the, the onslaught of power is throw some balls inside. Use that side of the plate. Mix your pitches up. and you know, I, I, not to take anything away from Aaron Judge, he's having a great year, but I've watched several times recently where, you know, pitchers get behind in the count and they try and sneak and groove a fastball in right downtown. Well, you know what? If you're going to throw it downtown, these hitters are going to hit it a mile. So uh, I, I think better uh, pitch selection and, and usage of the whole plate would combat some of the problems, uh, Brian. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that that pitching inside, and we used to call it moving people's feet. You know, I don't think that anyone yep. should hurl a baseball at, at somebody's head at 90 miles an hour, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with throwing it at his ankles and making a move. And in addition to that, we've been uh, coached for so long to throw balls in the bottom half of the strike zone, and I think that that the batters have just learned to elevate that pitch. And I, I certainly wonder if they can consistently elevate a letter-high fastball, especially one that's 95 miles an hour. So, you know, I'd like to see more pitching upstairs in addition to pitching inside. Well, yeah, you take a look at a, at a hitter like uh, Bellinger in L.A. He's got that, that, uh, that swing where anything low in the zone, he's going to golf it all over the place, and he has. So, yeah, maybe pitching, pitching higher, uh, changing speeds. Uh, there's a lot of ways it can be combated. But uh, pitchers, I see so much of it now where pitchers get behind in the count and they try and get back into the game by grooving one. And that just isn't going to wash. He's Tim McLeod from Prospect 361, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about the, the Mets and MLB in general, and I want to ask a, a Mets-specific question for you now. And, and the Mets, you know, when, when the team was put together by Sandy Alderson, it was going to be a team built around pitching. But, you know, pretty much every worthwhile pitcher on the Mets staff this year has seen a DL trip, and not just a DL trip, but an extended trip. And it's not like they were healthy last year either. So how do the Mets handle the, the pitching staff, uh, both the rest of this year and in the offseason? Can they depend on these guys ever again? Uh, I, I think they can, but I think one of the keys for the balance of this year is limiting the innings and being, being very, very careful with the group that's there. You know, 
Matt Harvey, who knows when he's going to return. Noah Syndergaard, uh, as much as a lot of people don't like the concept of him maybe pitching out of the bullpen, they need him healthy for next spring. So if he comes back to the game and he has to pitch out of the bullpen to ensure that he is healthy for next spring, do it. Uh, Jake, Jake DeGrom's having a great season, but do you want to see him going eight innings every fifth day right through until the end of September? If there's nothing on the table, rest him. And uh, I, I think it's just paramount that they get these guys healthy and do whatever it takes to do that. So you're of the opinion that if they manage the workload the rest of this season with the full off-season of rest, that they'll be able to, to count on them for a little bit more than they've given maybe the, uh, the last year and a half or so? I think it'll definitely help. And the other thing is I think a good off-season regimen should also be in play for some of these guys. You know, we heard about Syndergaard beefing it up in the off-season, and that didn't work so well. And I think some of these off-season programs should be should be monitored and implemented in a fashion that has long-term goals in mind, Brian. And sometimes I think that's not the case. You know, the Mets get uh, a lot of grief, and from the fans, I think uh, we say deservedly so for some of their training methods. Their their trainer, Ray Ramirez, is often referred to among the fan base as the angel of death, and uh, they have a strength and conditioning coach, Mike Barwis, who was came to the Mets from a college football team. Uh, the Wilpons, the Mets owners, are are big into the University of Michigan, especially the football team. And Barwis was the strength and conditioning coach there, and they hired him. So they've got a guy who's who's running their their department who's not a, a baseball guy. And uh, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, I don't know two weeks or so ago, uh, Mets broadcaster and former pitcher Ron Darling really laced into the the training and conditioning program as uh, a pitcher got hurt running the bases and uh, says that uh, the current, he didn't mention anyone by name, but he essentially said that the the current group of uh, trainers and, and strength and conditioning people in major league baseball need to get together with some of the old time guys who were more baseball and not other sports and, and learn what they did that was successful in, in preventing some of these injuries. And, you know, usually we have Keith Hernandez, who's the cranky old man, and, and Ron Darling is mm. the more analytical one, but Darling really got on his soapbox on that particular issue. And he, I, I, think he has, I think he has some cause for it. Football and baseball are two very different sports, uh, exercising very, very different models when it comes to strength and conditioning. And... I would. Uh, I wasn't aware of that situation, Brian, but I would be very, very concerned about having a football guy running a baseball program. Welcome to the wonderful world of the Mets, and we wonder how the hashtag <laughs> LOL Mets uh, Mets developed. But all right, and, and enough of that. Let, let's let, let's see if we can bring some levity back into things. So this weekend, uh, I took my son to the movie. We saw the, uh, the new Spider-Man movie, and during the movie, they showed a scene in uh, Peter Parker's bedroom, and we got to see some Met items on the wall, and and that got me thinking back oh uh, a dozen years or so. I think it was 2004 when there was going to be a promotion between Major League Baseball and Spider-Man, and they were going to put logos for the movie onto the bases until the fans revolted. So 
my question to you is, should MLB be thinking about, you know, promoting the game in this type of way? And personally, I think it would be better than the ugly uniforms that they uh, make all teams wear now for July 4th and Mother's Day and Father's Day and every other holiday you, you can think of. So how would you promote the game if, if you were running things there in MLB headquarters? Well, I think there's, there's, there's several different uh, and interesting promotions that you could run, uh, Brian. Here's one for you. Okay, right now the Padres, okay, have the lowest OBP in baseball. So why don't they do a Walking Dead tribute? Wouldn't that fit? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I do uh, some work for a, a local uh, collegiate summer baseball league, and they do the same thing that the, the minor league teams do, you know, trying to, to get fans uh, uh, invested into the game. So each game they pick, it's the Hardy's hero. So if this one guy gets a hit any time during the day, everybody who is in attendance and who shows up the next day with their ticket stub gets a free sausage biscuit. So we had two mm-hmm. hits tonight, but one of them was from the Hardy's hero. So wow. there, there you go. Yeah, Here's another one for you. You know, the Astros are leading the league in home runs. Why don't they do a Big Bang promo and a Big Bang theory, right? Put some bases <laughs> on the bases. You know, there's a lot of options, I think, that Major League Baseball could, could explore to have some fun with it. You know, I don't think anybody wants to see uh, rampant commercialism. And, and perhaps, you know, the 2004 issue of putting the logo for Spider-Man on the bases, perhaps that was a, a step too far. But I do think that there's got to be uh, something, some way that you can have fun and, and engage people who don't necessarily live and die with the game uh, 365 days a year. All right, well, um, enough of that silliness. Let's get back into something uh, a, little more, a little more serious. And, you know, the, the Mets are underachieving, and, and we've reached the point of the season where I think that clubs are, are really serious about uh, beginning to have uh, tr- serious trade discussions. So I want you to put on your GM hat, okay, and give me a trade that you think makes sense for both the Mets here in 2017 and beyond and the other club. Okay, uh, you know, the Jays have been rumored to be interested in Jay Bruce forever, and they, ha- they have a problem right now in, in one of their outfield slots, so it's a perfect opportunity. But what I would do is I would look at trying to tie in one of the relief pitchers, either Addison Reed and J- or Jerry Blevins, one of the two of them. Reed's a free agent heading into next year. Uh, Blevins got a $7 million, uh, $7 million option, but those relief pitchers are coveted. Ty Bruce and one of the relief pitchers into a trade with the Jays for let's go with uh, Anthony Alfred and some minor league pieces. How does that sound? Well, you know, the, the thing is that Jay Bruce was uh, tied to the Blue Jays all during the offseason, and it never really mm-hmm. seemed to materialize. I think that everybody is, is comfortable with, with trading an outfielder and trading an infielder. Uh, I think that where you run into some pushback maybe among some Mets fans is with the idea of trading a reliever. Um, realistic or not, I think that a, a lot of Mets fans are thinking that 2017 was a, was a dip, not necessarily a, the start of a, of a uh, downward spiral. And I don't know if they're quite ready to trade uh, a relief asset just because the relief just seems so shaky altogether. Um, so I, I'm sure yeah, that the, the both big, Reed. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to say the big reason I looked at Addison Reed is because he's a free agent next year. And will he end up back with the Mets anyways, I guess, is the is my question or concern. And and that's that's certainly a very valid point. You know, uh, the thing that, that surprises me is, you know, we were talking about no one wants to be a middle reliever. You know, if you have to be <clears> in the bullpen, just about everybody wants to be a closer because that's where – the money is, you know, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. So we're definitely dealing with that principle. However, Reed, he, he, he made some quote and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he pretty much said, you know, I'm happy closing. I'm happy setting up. You know, I just want team to win, which was just an unbelievable, fantastic attitude. And, and you're a hundred percent right. He's a free agent and there's no guarantee that he'll be back next year. Certainly the Mets are hoping that Familia can come back and uh, uh, regain his job as the team's closer. But if, if they're willing to step up and and pay the freight for him to be a a top notch setup, man, Reed almost seems like the guy who would uh, be all right with that. It's like, all right, well, you know, I'm making 12 million a year. I'll, I'll set up. That's all right. So, you know, I think ordinarily I'd agree with you. And in, in, in this case, I, I think maybe, you know, it, it, it's enough at least to give me pause, if that makes sense. Well, I, I, yeah, I understand. I, I guess the other thing is, Asbel Cabrera wants out. Let him get him out of there. Let's get Rosario up and let, let's see what the kid can deliver. That would, that would be my other train of thought. You know, I, I have to say that I was not in favor of the Asdrubal Cabrera signing. And then he came out and had a pretty solid year for the Mets last year. Um, I think yeah. maybe he hit like we expected through most of the season, but then he really turned it on in uh, late August and then in, in September, with, almost did like a mini uh, Daniel Murphy version. Uh, and I don't think mm-hmm. anybody expected his hitting to necessarily repeat that this year. But I think the thing that's really hurt is that you know he came into the Mets uh, for the 2016 season with a reputation of maybe not being the greatest defensive shortstop. But the guy caught every single thing that he got to. Maybe he didn't get to as many things as Brandon Crawford would. But whatever he got his glove on, man, he converted that into an out. And that just hasn't been the case this year. And, and you know, I think that that's been a major disappointment as, as far as Mets fans go. Yeah, I agree, Brian. So the, the question is, you, if you trade Cabrera, who has a, a, option for two, a team option for 2018, which is, which is reasonable, I think it's $8.5 million. I mean, would you be expected to get anything above, like, your generic C prospect if you were to trade as Drupal Cabrera? No, I basically what I would be looking for is a a C level C level prospect, uh, some somebody at, at at low A that you know that has potential, maybe even high A at the, at, at the best. And I guess the principal reason is I, I want to see Rosario in that lineup. I want to see what the kid has to deliver, and I, I think two months of Rosario will be holding him in very good stead for next year when he has the job full time. To me, one of the issues of of trading one of the guys who the the Mets claim are available, and there's a half a dozen different guys that you can throw out there, is none of them are really going to bring you back anything that's exciting with the possible exception of, of Reed. And the Mets farm system has two guys at the top and then a bunch of C-level prospects, and I just don't see the, the, the reason to trade some of these guys if all you're going to get back is another C-level prospect to add to the, 
25, 30 C-level prospects that we already have. And, and maybe that's not being realistic of me, but that's kind of the way that I approach things there. Yeah, I guess when, when I look, at, the key for me is looking at potential free agents. Getting something for a potential free agent is better than getting nothing in, in a couple months. All right, well, we've reached crazy prediction time. Each week here on the podcast, uh, we make a crazy prediction. So I'll give you mine, and I'll ask for you to comment on it, and then I'll ask you for yours. So my crazy prediction this week is that Mets rookie pitcher, Paul Sewell, he of the 433 ERA, gets promoted to be the club's eighth inning guy and even picks up a couple of saves before the season's out. So I want to know, how crazy is that? I don't think it's crazy at all because I think there's a good possibility that uh, Addison Reed and Jerry Blevins get moved. And if that, in fact, does occur, uh, your guy could be getting more than just the odd save moving forward. Somebody's going to have to man the ninth inning, and why not give the kid a shot? So I I don't think it's uh, crazy at all. All right, so I took a big swing and a whiff on, on my crazy idea this week. So, all right, hit me with yours. What's your crazy idea? Okay, Jay Bruce is going to hit more homers in the second half than Aaron Judge. Oh, 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 Tim McLeod brings the crazy prediction. I love it. All right, so is that because Judge gets hurt? No, it's because Judge has had an amazing first half, okay? And he's a great young player, but I think pitchers are going to adjust somewhat. And he's a New York Yankee. So if I'm going to pick a long shot and I'm on a show <laughs> that features the Mets, i got to go for a Met bat to outperform a Yankee, right? Oh, man, I love it. I have to say you kicked my butt on the crazy prediction time. All right, well, we've got time for just one more question. So I want to wrap up uh, this week's segment with this. The Mets uh, management team of uh, uh, general manager Sandy Alderson and manager Terry Collins are both among the oldest in the game at their positions, and their contracts are up at the end of the season. Do you see either of them coming back? And if not, who would make sense to replace them? Um, I think it's time for a change in New York, Brian. And I, I think as their team is going to get considerably younger in the next few years, I think it would be prudent of the Mets to look a little bit younger when it when it comes to their management team. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see what uh, a guy like, say, Pudge Rodriguez, maybe Raul Ibanez, uh, uh, Tim Wallach's not exactly young, but uh, it would be nice to see him get an opportunity. And as far as looking at a replacement for Alderson, uh, there's a guy out in L.A. right now who was formerly the uh, head honcho with the Blue Jays, and that's Alex Anthopoulos. And he's young, he's aggressive, he's a very, very smart individual. And uh, I think the Mets uh, should really give Anthopoulos a good look and go after him. Well, there you go. We are all out of time. I'd like to thank our guest tonight, and that's Tim McLeod from Prospect 361. Tim, thanks for joining us and talking Mets and MLB. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Brian. It's been my pleasure, and you have a great rest of the season. Thank you much. Uh, Please tune in again with us uh, next Wednesday night at 11 o'clock when uh, Mets by the Numbers, John Springer, comes back to the show to discuss our favorite team. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone.